Welcome to The Future Built Smarter, a podcast in which IMEG engineers discuss innovative and trend-setting building and infrastructure design with architects, owners, and others in the AEC industry. I'm your host, Joe Payne, back with my trusty sidekick, Mike Lawless, IMEG's Director of Innovation. Mike, welcome back. Great to be here again. It's always fun, Joe. Also with us today, we have Adam McMillan, IMEG's Director of Sustainability. Adam, it's been a while. Glad to see you again. Yeah, glad you decided to have you back. <laughs> Our discussion today is going to be about the City of Ann Arbor, Michigan's Community Geothermal System, which is one of 11 similar projects selected and funded by the U.S. Department of Energy's Geothermal Technologies Office. And Adam is working with a group of organizations, stakeholders, and the City of Ann Arbor to lead the analysis and design of this project. And that leads me to our special guest for today, who is Dr. Missy Stoltz, the Sustainability and Innovations Director for the City of Ann Arbor. Missy has a PhD in Urban Resilience from the University of Michigan, a Master's in Climate and Society from Columbia University, and undergraduate degrees in Marine Biology and Environmental Science from the University of New England. Missy, thank you very much for joining us here today. Thanks for having me. I'm so delighted to be here with y'all. Your job is really focused on making Ann Arbor one of the most sustainable and equitable cities in America, right? And uh, so it seems like this project fits right into that. Absolutely. And you're 100% right. As we think about the realities of the climate crisis and all of the other things that are happening around us, whether that's growing social and economic disparity that we're experiencing, rapid technological innovation, and of course, increasing disasters, it's becoming more and more evident that we have to center the climate crisis and achieving and addressing the climate crisis in a just and equitable way, kind of in our work. And nowhere do we see action more prominently than at the local level. So I'm pretty lucky that I get to sit in a seat in a local government that cares really deeply about this issue and has stepped up uh, to do a lot of pretty innovative and challenging things. So Mike, I, I like the innovation in your title. I share it and uh, excited to see what we have to what we have to do, what we can do, what we could do, and envision what's possible. You know, this project, tell us just a little bit about it. Obviously, it supports your mission, but how to get started and what are you doing? So in Ann Arbor, we've got the goal of achieving a just transition to community-wide carbon neutrality by 2030, which is a minute away. And so it's sort of all the things you can possibly imagine. But one of the things that was really critical and remains really critical to us is centering equity in our work. And so from the very beginning, when we adopted this goal, we sort of cast this broad net and said, we've, we've got to make sure that we're working with neighborhoods that we've traditionally disinvested in, that we honestly have left behind, that we've made choices not to center in this work, because we want to ensure that when we address the climate crisis, we center those residents that have been left behind by our doing in the solutions. They should benefit first and most from whatever it is that we end up doing. And so we reached out to one of our community partners, Community Action Network, and they get all the credit for stepping up. They do social service work. And they said, yeah, we see the intersection between the work that we do and climate impacts and how that impacts energy, poverty, affordability, health, and safety of our residents will come beside you. And so for almost three years, we've been working with Community Action Network in a neighborhood known as Bryant and with the residents of Bryant to figure out what would it mean if they became the most sustainable neighborhood in America? What would it mean if you flipped the script on a neighborhood that we sort of just forgot about to making it be the centerpiece of climate action? 
And this project came about as part of that, where we were talking to the residents about what they'd like, and we were implementing things and we were coming up with new ideas. And we realized that energy poverty was extreme. You know, for many households, uh, over 15% of households were spending almost 10% of their income on energy bills. That's extreme energy poverty. So we said, well, then let's start thinking about that differently. How do we help them reduce their heating and cooling load? How do we get a sustainable, clean source of energy in their homes to reduce indoor air pollutants that youth are breathing? We have high asthma rates in the neighborhood. We've got many elderly individuals who are vulnerable. How do we kind of flip the script? And this project was one that we saw as a strategic opportunity. And thanks to partners like IMEG and Ann Arbor for Public Schools and the county and CAN and the residents, uh, we put together a winning team. Yeah, no, it's a it's an exciting project. And as I thought about it, you know, as engineers, you know, a lot we're driven, I'm driven by, you know, how do as engineers, how do we impact the communities that we live in, the people that live in those communities, the planet? And and this seems to me as one of those that you can really draw a pretty direct line between some of the technology and engineering that's going into it to the impacts that it's going to have, which I think is, is pretty exciting. So I don't know, Adam, could you give a look, maybe give a little bit of the overview of, from an engineering standpoint, like what are, what are we looking to do for this, you know, from that standpoint, technically for the neighborhood? Yeah. I, I love this project because it's hard. It's extra hard. I think even as we think about a brand new greenfield multifamily development, putting geothermal out there for them that has big dollar budgets and and space and timing, that has its challenges. And people are starting to do that and that's great. Um, But as Missy said, um, we can't leave others behind. And this project, we've invited a lot of additional quote unquote constraints because that's that's where the real work is. And if we're gonna be able to make a, a a replicable um, showcase here. How could we do this anywhere? I think this project has it. So our our goal is from you know everything that Missy talked about and a technical perspective. How do you weave this back into our existing neighborhoods? Because the answer to climate crisis isn't brand new neighborhoods everywhere. It is how can we work with what we have in a smarter way, reuse resources we have, and then you know lift everyone else up with us. So I think it's really hard for that reason. I think that's part of the reason why we were selected. Um, but, you know, from a pure technical standpoint, it's 260 homes, four commercial buildings, existing easements, existing utilities, some parks we can use, some we can't. So it's just a lot going on. But our goal is how do we make this so anyone can do it? So how do we tell a bigger story that can go anywhere while giving all the benefits back? So it's 260 homes, you know, 260 families, 260 residents, and there's going to be some construction that goes on and, and things that need to happen in their houses to make this all work. How do you engage with the residents? How do they get involved? And, you know, what are what's their kind of part in this? Yeah, it's an outstanding question because they have to be centered in the work if this is going to be successful. So I do just want to name that this is a down select. So we were funded to design the system and then hopefully we will have a whiz bang system that DOE loves and we'll be funded to implement it. So cross your fingers, eyes, ears, legs, toes, hair, everything uh, that that materializes. Right now, though, the work uh, is the community engagement element is being led by Community Action Network, who's actually hiring people from the neighborhood to help lead the community engagement. And that includes everything from understanding what energy use profiles already look like and what residents see as their critical 
loads, which are different between households, for sure. If you've got medical devices or someone that's got an impediment, you've got to factor that into critical load. To what does it look like in that utility closet? What space are we even dealing with? And having conversations about disruption. And is it better to do centralized, boring, and minimal disruption or length of disruption, if you will, in front of homes? Or is it better to have distributed wells? Uh, You know, those are the kinds of conversations that are going to happen with residents to really understand both the realities of the project and be really transparent that there's disruption in doing this, but also to vision what it could look like and how maybe they help each other with uh, the, the social elements of this work. So it's not just us begging them to make a transition. It's their neighbor talking about the value of that transition. It's a lot more persuasive. And some of that value, I, I assume is in the other, you know, you've got the homes, which you have the schools and commercial buildings as well. So how does having a school as part of this, how do you integrate some, the, the learning and, you know, to me, if you're ta- thinking about the community and how it impacts the community and your neighbor saying, Hey, it's great. We're going to hopefully at some point, you know, it gets funded and you have these actual, you know, construction disruptions, but how do you use that as an, how are you planning to use that as an educational opportunity as well? What I would say is we have a deep collaboration around sustainability. It's part of the ethos in the community, both at the city and in our public schools. And so we're actively working on these opportunities to daylight. Most of the sustainability practices that we're doing right now are hidden, right? The geothermal system, you don't see it once it's in. Right. And you're you're not generally taking students into an HVAC closet to talk about that equipment. Right. So we've been having conversations about how uh, we do real-time reporting on monitors about the production of the system. And maybe we build different kinds of models that people can see and touch and interact with to learn about that system and then tour it. Can we do special video footage of the installation taking place so we can show people what it's like? And we're also working with our local uh, plumbers, pipe fitters, our union to help us do workforce development, which includes actually working with emerging adults to recruit them into the industry to say, these are really good jobs. This is about a just transition and there's a lot of work here. So we sort of have all the way up from, you know, your, your elementary schools kind of seeing models and touching them and interacting with them to those who might be getting ready to fledge and are looking for careers and trying to recruit them into the green job industry. Yeah. I think my son who's a freshman in high school just brought home what he's studying in his biology unit. And he's been studying this for like two months now. And he just now showed me, Oh dad, I have a test. Can you help me with this? And it is like, what is carbon sequestration? What is renewable energy approaches? What is sustainable development? I was like, Bennett, this is what I do. And you haven't asked me about this this whole time. Um, but, but that's a biology class and that's a perfect intervention point. You know, these, these units, those segments are in their curriculum and here it is where they live. And I think for this, I don't, you know, I'm getting to know this community myself, but for them, it's, this happens everywhere else. Now there's an opportunity to know this happens here and we're doing it here. So I think it'll really, really hit home from them for them and i think you know there is the climate piece too and um i think the other piece of this is indoor air quality which um, is, a, is a huge topic and getting rid of gas helps our carbon problem but not having gas in the home also helps them breathe more cleanly i mean dryers and stovetops and things like that i mean so those are other changes that are they're going to have to be socialized and talked about and, and understood but you know there's really from the technology to the carbon to the indoor air quality to the curriculum it's all in there. And it's just a matter of how do we get it in an effective message to this group. As you're doing this design and trying to bring this, this to light, what are some of the design aspects that you're going to maybe a lot of times might be hidden, but you're going to try and show off. Like, what is that? 
like what's the design plan from from that perspective yeah so i think some of that stuff will have to develop i think things we've seen in other um places like i've seen a geothermal field is at a higher ed campus but it had like a glass bottom floor where you could go below and see the pipes coming in and where it connected into the pumps i think there's a way to kind of open up the idea of what a geothermal well is um, not that we're going to expose a, a 700 foot um well to people but i think some diagrams about where these these wells live i think there's some really interesting new technology with angle drilling that's coming um, and some places to put wells in areas we couldn't access so if they understand that these wells are actually underneath our feet in our home and this is what's making my home warm i think you know drawing some of those parallels could be could be helpful and i think to missy's point i think physical models in some ways are really great um, i think interactive uh, i think we could probably incorporate some sort of VR or AR element to this as well. So they could kind of see the wells under their feet through this virtual reality. And I think that's some things that we have, Mike, that could be really well received on the project. Yeah, I just wanted to offer that one of the things we're also doing, it is tangential to this project, but but will be integrated, is that there's a community center called the Bryant Community Center. And we have been making investments in that community center to transition it to a resilience hub. And we have decided as a city to use our energy efficiency and conservation block grant dollars to make it a living learning lab of decarbonization. The center is actually two houses in the neighborhood that were joined. So it looks like people's homes. And that's where you do things like plexiglass over the insulation to talk about what insulation looks like. And we can have the models and the monitors and we can let people touch with uh, and interact with the thermostat and the different controls. So you normalize, you know, a lot of this technological advancement is foreign to many people. It's intimidating. And so how do we expose people to it and, and help them become more comfortable with the kind of advancements we're talking about? What are the types of things that you think the DOE is looking for uh, in deciding who to fund for the you know implementation phase? Certainly like, Carbon emission impact is they have a specific metric around that. Can we achieve 75% reduction in greenhouse gas is one of their key metrics. But I think DOE badly needs to tell the stories about how their grant dollars are making a difference for the future. So I think I think replicability, um, <clears throat> packaging of this into something that not just the technical pieces, it's, it's the community outreach piece. It's all the different components that Missy outlined earlier. How can this be picked up? kind of delivered in a way to um, another community halfway across the country to do the same thing. Um, I think they also really like when the utility is involved too. So part of this project we haven't talked about yet is that local utility is involved. So we're helping this gas utility think about what's the utility of the future. Is geothermal their new utility that they can tell the story about their carbon reductions, they can maintain their revenue source. So other utilities can see the need and, and benefit for, so they can invest in those other communities as well. So I think, I think really it's storytelling as much as it is the technical piece. And I think we're going to have to stitch that together in a pretty clear way. You know, if you're talking about replicating this and I understand, you know, this is a DOE grant and those sorts of things, but as, as time goes on, how, you know, how does it, how do the economics of this work as far as replicating it? You know, is it, is it the DOE grant, like just super important to make the, the economics of this work or how, what does that look like in the future? I love that question. And I think some of it's to be determined, but I'll say from the vantage, from my vantage in the role as a sustainability director, I have got to find a way to get to sustainable heating 
right? And I happen to live in Michigan in a cold climate. We are effectively a peninsula. We have the highest electric rates in the Midwest. You know, just pure electrification isn't going to work for most families. And where it does pencil is at a lot of investment, solar, energy storage, and electrification in our climate, in our space. So we've got to find ways to think differently about how we heat and cool our homes. If I can work with our utility and demonstrate proof of concept that this works and that it could in fact potentially save ratepayer dollars, I've got a slam dunk case to help them make a transition. I can go to the AG. I can go to our public service commission. I can be petitioning for these kinds of transitions. So it's not one off. I'm actually changing a structure, right? A utility structure. That's transformational. And that's not just about Ann Arbor. That demonstrates proof of concept for everywhere in our area. And if it works here, where gas is artificially subsidized and electric is more expensive, guess what? It's going to work almost everywhere. And I'll just add, there's precedent for that. I mean, back in five, 10 years ago, why would a utility ever invest in solar PV? Because they've already paid for this coal-fired plant. It's making them money. Why would, why would you know, utilities don't want to shut down PV? And now you can get free solar with on-bill financing for PV on your own roof because there's... I mean, there is state and federal incentives that are playing in that a little bit, but over time, help people have helped utilities understand a different business model that it's actually cheaper to put on PV than it is to build more coal or more even natural gas in some cases. So I think what we're hopefully trying to do is say geothermal is also in that same camp. And this is a way that a utility can help them potentially on bill finance, or maybe there are structures to do that. And we're going to re really rely on their expertise to help as well. I think we're going to try to push the narrative and support the data, but they're going to have to be on board to want to transition as well and tell that story. Part of changing the structure of how that utility looks at this is having it be a community-based solution, right? It, it, doing This is changing that structure also from one house at a time to a community coming together. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah. And what's great about that is thermal efficiency, right? Like now you can have loads that are different. So you're getting higher efficiency systems, which mean, you know, you're not making money on a commodity here, right? There isn't gas. It's not a pass through charge. You're really just talking about the pipes that you're putting in and utilities make money on infrastructure, right? And so you can think about this both from a utility perspective that sometimes I would argue is a little bit jaded. You can also think about it from the community's perspective and how much more stable that is. And let's think about it from a resilience perspective. If we're doing more community-centered systems, more neighborhood microgrids, well, and the geothermal to me is part of that, a really important part of that microgrid. If we get to that phase, that's far more resilient than big centralized infrastructure. You also have redundancies in your systems. That's what we're talking about. And for me, that's exciting because I think the utility infrastructure that we have really, I'm thankful for it. And it served us for the last hundred years, but it is not the utility structure that's going to bring us forward hundred years into the future. It just, it just can't, it's not going to function in that way. So let's start investing in the new utility structure. Let's start thinking about these more decentralized systems. That's, that's pretty exciting. So Missy, I'm sure there's other cities that are at different stages of their, you know, investigation on, and their journey on this. And obviously you've come a long way and, you know, won this DOE grant and all those great things. So some of these other communities that were, they're just trying to get started. What, what do you recommend? How, how do you take like your first steps towards doing something like this? I look heavily to places like 
Framingham in Massachusetts, who's doing this with your utility too. So your number one, I guess the advice is you're not ever on island, even though it always feels like we're islanded in this work. So please reach out to your peers, uh, seek advice where you need it, because this is complicated work and you're not alone in, in doing this work. The second would be forming your community partners, really working with community-based organizations, finding really great and trusted technical advisors. We were lucky. Um, I didn't know Adam and IMAG. They came from Ann Arbor Public Schools. That was our recommendation to work with you all. And I trust Ann Arbor Public Schools and work with them closely. So lean into your network and find the collaborators that you have. And then I'll go back to where I started third. Just ask for help when you need it, whether that's to the U.S. Department of Energy, whether that's to peer cities, whether that's to contractors who do this work. Don't be afraid for to ask for help in this space. It is hard. It is complicated, uh, but it is also necessary. And people will will generally step up to help on good projects. So Missy and Adam, you know, it's, it's exciting to me that to hear you guys are doing this hard work to make this kind of an impact. And it's, it's encouraging to me to, to see these sorts of things happen. So I'm really appreciative of the, of the things that you all are doing. Mike, thank you for saying that. I would say this is one of the hardest projects I've ever worked on. And I know Adam named that too. And yet it's one of the most fulfilling projects because we're literally seeing people's lives be impacted in a really positive way. So thank you for the support that IMEG offers and thanks to all of our community partners. And thank you, Missy, for being with us here today on the IMEG podcast. Listeners who want to catch previous episodes of our podcast can visit us at imegcorp.com or tune in to any podcast app. We'll be back soon with another episode. Until then, thanks for listening and take care. <music>